0: You are listening to Todd Talks from the Truett Church Network. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy. We've been treated this afternoon to real, raw reflections regarding racism from Beth Moore's perspective. And then a turning to scripture. And so, Beth, I want to frame uh, our conversation this afternoon in kind of three parts because I am a Baptist preacher after all.
1: Yes. And are we going to end with a poem, uh, If you have one. Okay. Uh,
0: and so uh, what I'd like to do, first of all, is I really do want to take up uh, your uh, your address, your, your talk. And then, I, but I want to pivot a bit too to talk about your ministry more broadly, Beth, because I think we have a room full of friends who are very much interested in it. And then, um, as a sneak peek, I want us to pivot finally to your memoir, uh, which is just now available, and you are about to go on uh, a whistle-stop tour all over the place.
1: In fact, I was so surprised and really delighted to see it on the table because it's not out yet. It comes out on Tuesday, so I was like, where did that come from? But it was super, super fun, so I'll always be able to know that my first signing was here. So it was—it was a blast. So I'm—I'm I'm thrilled.
0: Well, this is exactly the thing that we want Beth to think, isn't it? <laughs> so, um, so Beth, um, your uh, remarkable message was uh, autobiography on the one hand and um, a careful look at certain scriptures on the other. So I want to ask a, a number of questions uh, regarding both. So, if looking back, you can now see um, that your grandmother could not see well. Uh, Can you look back um, in your upbringing and say, but here are some people who put my feet on the path on which you presently find yourself? Were there also, if if this is an anti-type, were there also prototypes? Were there also positive examples as you you reflect?
1: Oh, Oh, absolutely. I'll say that I had several major mentors, much of my cutting teeth years as a, a Bible teacher, Sunday school teacher first, and then started writing curriculum and those kinds of things. I was mainly at one church, and that was at First Baptist Church in Houston. And my pastor was John Bazanio. And I don't exactly know how to explain him, but I'll say this much about him. So many people, and these would be fellow Baptists at that time saying it, with good humor, would say to me, you know, his church is the only one you could possibly have come out of. And that was because he just was, he was just different in the way that he thought, in the chances that he took, in what he believed was of greatest value. And he very much, probably my love of diversity of a a wide range of people and that, that that just made life richer so much of that probably would have come from him and wanting to see people like he was the kind that would put people in front of his congregation that that he would know his congregation was going to think they could out preach him but he wanted so much to bless his congregation that this was the way he did things. He just wasn't intimidated by it. And I would definitely say him. And then there were so, so many others that God had along the way that just the next piece of it, the next, the thing that will always be the mystery is, you know, why do some things take so long? You know, those are the kinds of things that, I, some of the things that I wrote in the memoir about, about my journey, I look back at when I was talking about some of the ridiculous, the ridiculous um, extremes I went to to make sure if I had been serving with a man that he would know that I knew he was over me. And I I was trying to articulate them, and I thought, you sound like an idiot. But I thought, you know, and so why could you see yourself at the time? But, you know, we just, we're not here to be proud of ourselves. Um, We're here to learn how to be faithful. So, you know, why couldn't I have been more impacted and quicker? I don't know. But, yes, he has always had someone in place and, and a wide variety of people, and I'm so grateful for that.
0: Beth, you stated in the midst of your message, you cannot read the Bible through and through and conclude that it is not about justice. No. Uh, and someone famously said that the Bible has an arc towards justice. Yes, yes. So, could you reflect on that a yes. bit further for us? Well,
1: I, even from the very start... Mary's song, which is reaching back to Hannah's song, if, if that is not speaking to social situations, when she's there with her relative Elizabeth, I don't, I mean, we have it from the beginning, from the beginning when she talks about the oppressed and that he's come to turn it over and to take, I mean, she, she is already saying, blessed are the poor. And so it's it's there from the very beginning, woven in from the very beginning. You hear it in Zechariah's song. And then Jesus, the very first time he preaches in his own town, he gets up and reads the portion out of Isaiah chapter 61, where he talks about being he that was called by the sovereign Lord to preach this gospel and to preach freedom to the captives and to preach to the oppressed and liberty to the oppressed. And so where in the world we're getting that, I don't know. But this is what happens when you make the gospel this big. When the gospel is something that you can share in one sentence on, on your airplane flight. Don't, please don't misunderstand me. I'm all for sharing the gospel. I'm, I'm an evangelist to the bone. And I do believe in taking that opportunity with the person next to me that may that may not know Christ. And I've got an open door. Am I going to walk through it? You bet I am. You bet I am. But we've been trained to think that's... That's the gospel. That's the full, that's it. That's all there is to it. There's nothing else you need to know except did, did Jesus die for your sins and will you put your trust in him and was he crucified for your sake and raised from the dead? Yes. Then that's all you need to know and nothing else is part of that gospel. When it says that he freed the captives, there are all sorts of ways to be captive. And so, um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I can't grasp it, but it's it's there and it's there from the very beginning, and it is certainly there in the foretelling of the Messiah in the Old Testament. Yes.
0: So it's important that we read our Bible. It's also it's important It's important
1: that we read our Bible. And yes. it's
0: also important that we let the Bible read us. That's
1: exactly right. Yeah. And I want to say read outside your own circle. That's so important because the one of the traps that we get put in, or no that we place ourselves in is we read and reread people that we already agree with. So we're never challenged, because why? Because we're always gonna pick those same books, never read outside that, or, or if we do, we're only going in it to critique it. There've been a few times that, you know, I've got a, another book coming out, so it's another round of criticism It's just gonna be in. But you want to say right now then, was there anything that you liked? Was there anything at all that was of value to you? And because when we just want the same thing repeated to us over and over, we'll never grow, never.
0: Beth, in the midst of your message, you uh, made a powerful point that diversity is not a quality. Unity is not a quality. I wonder if you would reflect on those principles in light of Galatians 3.28.
1: I mean, that's where, that's where she had me. And I was in a group, um, just like you've been in a group today. So she wouldn't have, I mean, I, I told her afterwards, and I've told her many, many times since then. I said, I've quoted you so many times. But when somebody pegs it just like that, I mean, just pegs it like that, where it's like, oh, my gosh, this is what I've gotten confused so often what we're saying is, oh, please, all of you and all your differences, come be like me. And it's this thing that we've been taught and that we just keep reteaching, and that's not the point. I do want to read um, Galatians 3.28. I love to talk about Galatians with Dean Still because he wrote a commentary on, well, was it, it was on, Galatians, it was on Philippians but then we, I came and with your class when you did your taught your Galatians class, and I was writing the study at the time. So we had such a blast talking about it. But they, there is some thought that these words might have been said at baptism, that in that in the early church there is there is there. are some persuasive arguments that these verses were said aloud, and I just want you to hear them. Galatians 3, 27 through 29. For those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And what some people have used it to say is, well, then we should not even be talking about skin color. That is not what it's talking about. And every one of, he's giving a, a, those, a, a pair of analogies where there has been a huge differential of power. And what he's doing is he's settling that matter where everybody is on the same ground. And that is, it's not that we can't see that there have been differences and distinctions. It's that there is no longer any kind of power differential. So I love that. I'm just trying to imagine what it would have been like to have been baptized with those words said over you. Uh,
0: Beth, um If in recent years uh, there have been uh, considerable, demonstrable setbacks in in race relations, uh, what might, uh, let's let's put it pointedly, what might white evangelicals do in order to see more clearly? Uh, You talk so powerfully about that passage out of Mark where uh, Jesus heals the man sort of, and then he heals the man more fully. Yes. Last year, the uh, the the theme of this conference was a question: Do do you wish to be healed? Yes. Exactly. How how might we move towards uh, true healing?
1: It it would take one one thing, and that would be humility. Just having the humility to be quiet and learn. One of the things, I don't, I if you said, Beth, I mean, was that just like forthrightly taught that you, that you're, that somehow, how was it that y'all thought you were the smartest of the smart and the best of the, I don't know how to explain it to you. Just this whole idea of, that we oh you no know, we've we've got the doctrine, and we'd be somewhere else if that was right. But we're here because this is the rightest of the right. I I, I don't I don't know where. But how do we get to the truth? We get to the truth with humility. you all want to know something really interesting. Um, last year, my daughter and I uh, wrote a Bible study on Philippians, and and while we were teaching the class, so we were teaching it. Um, weekly as we were taping it and one of the women said we had just studied Philippians 2 together which at this point after writing a a commentary you would know it by memory uh, dean but but she said that the Sunday before her pastor had come to the to the pulpit and all he had done he had not told them to open his open their bibles he had simply recited Philippians chapter 2 And he just never said at the end that it was Philippians. He just said it, and then he went on and preached. He got an email before he could even get home telling him that he was woke. He had read the scriptures. He'd read the scriptures. And if there's anything that speaks to the time we're living in, it is that we have lost touch with putting someone else's interest before our own. And that's exactly how that chapter starts. So I, I just found it so fascinating But that, just to humble ourselves, that Jesus himself not exploiting that he was coequal equal with God, but that he humbled himself, uh, that that's what it would take. And just for a change, I'll speak for myself, just shut up and listen. Just listen and see what we might learn.
0: So you and Melissa are working on a study now on the the Minor Prophets who happen to have a major message,
1: right? Major message.
0: So as you think of the Minor Prophets, as you're reading, reflecting, studying, writing, speaking on the Minor Prophets, what are some themes that are popping up that are applicable to our conversation?
1: Okay, well, I'll tell you this. I don't know how applicable this is, but it's just got, got my... My mind's so captivated right now. Habakkuk is the only one of the minor prophets who does not speak to a people all he does in his book is that he speaks to God, and then he records God speaking back. And he's saying to God, he's bringing his lament and his complaint. Why do you let it go on like this? Why is there still this kind of injustice? Why, do we, why don't you ever stop this? And so God is speaking back to him. But one of the things that I love about it, you got to admit that it is a very secure God that can literally give you vocabulary for how to complain about him to him. (laughs) Do you realize how many of the psalms are lament? There's some, anywhere between a third and a half. Only one of them doesn't turn to praise. Only one in all the lament psalms. And so I want to say that, that there is nothing of doubt But everything of faith, when we bring our complaints and our lament and say, why does this continue on? Why don't you stop this? One of the other things I love about the minor prophets is that nobody gets off the hook. And I told them, week to week, I would say to them, if if they didn't make you mad tonight, they will make you mad next Thursday night. Because they talked about all of it injustice, sexual immorality, um, the wrongdoing of shepherds, the shepherds over the flocks, um, the uh, perversion of worship when we have not loved our neighbor. There's no, there's no way to get to the end of it. And the, the, the uh, disrespect for the poor, there's no way to get to the end of it and feel all right about yourself. What you do when you get to the end of it is that you know to say, thank you, God, for the cross of Christ. <laughs> yes, yes.
0: Woe is me, for I am undone. Yes. So, uh, Scripture then's meant to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Yes. And we've been at ease in Zion. Yes. So, um, let me... Pivot just a minute, and let's let's talk about uh, Beth. Let's talk about your ministry. Um, I teach Paul a lot, and I do so uh, around his conversion, his call. I talk about uh, his pre-Damascus years, Damascus, and then post-Damascus. Yes. So, could we talk about Beth Moore's ministry as uh, pre-life way? Yes. Life way. Post LifeWay. Yes. So, go. Okay.
1: Okay. So to make sure, do you do you know what LifeWay is? LifeWay is the publishing arm of the Southern Baptist Convention, and I I, I began to write Bible studies with them when I was about thirty-three or thirty-four years old. I had done. I had a Thursday morning class. Uh, in Houston that was outside. I taught Sunday school, but I wanted a class I could go further with. And after a couple of years, some of the ladies, I gathered around me and they said, we think you can write homework. I said, I cannot write homework. Go go to precept, go to BCF, uh, go to BSF, any of that. But I, I can't, no, we think you can. And they pushed and pushed until I did. So then Lifeway comes along. And so they, well, first they, they send it back and go, no, that's not what we want. Then they ask for it again and um, bring me in. And so then I would go on from there and we would do like some goodness, uh, Dean, I guess maybe 17 or 18 uh, Bible studies uh, in partnership with them. And then I came to a point where I knew that I could no longer call myself a Southern Baptist, that I no longer identified, I could no longer identify with what had become to me the public face of it. And uh, just out of my own convictions, I had to step aside from it. What I want you to understand when we talk about life, I loved Lifeway. It nearly killed me to give them up, but I felt like, let me put it in these terms, I I don't know if this is helpful. If I was married to the SBC, and you might think of it, that's how I think of it, because it feels like it was a very public divorce because I, I loved, I loved them. This was the only, this was my world. This was my my identity. But I, if if I was married to the SBC, my marriage contract was Lifeway. You understand what I'm saying? And I thought, you can't leave one, you're gonna have to, in order to give up what it is that you are wanting to walk away from, you have got to give up what you don't wanna walk away from. So I, I want you to know, there's, it, it's hard to make the distinction, but they are two very distinctive arms of it. So life changed dramatically. Now I kept doing, this, this is so interesting y'all. Or, no, it's interesting to me. Because <laughs> somebody asked me, night before last, I saw a group of people I had not seen in 20 years. I, I was so apprehensive. That you can't even imagine because nothing is more awkward than to be with people that would have known me in the big arena days. So we come back to this and as far as they're concerned, I have completely lost all doctrine. You understand what I'm saying? So it's just like, she's left and they are trying to love me anyway, but don't. You understand what I'm saying? And so I, I'm already knowing I'm going to have to come in. And, and so she, she said to me, now, are you still, like, do you still do your stuff? <laughs> and I'll, she'll, you know, like Bible studies. So I said, yes, I, I do still write Bible studies. And, but it was the oddest thing because it was like, no, no, she's given up the word altogether, you know. Mm. So um, I've just continued to do what I felt called to do and you have to just, I say this to you because I met a number of young women that came up and said they are, they feel called to ministry. And I said, I, I just can't say enough to you that what will be your best friend in your ministry life will be that you will understand that you've been called to follow Jesus wherever he leads instead of called to a particular position. Because if you you got your position in mind instead of that you were called to a person, then you're gonna get real confused when something blows up your position. And when God has put you on the hot seat, Todd, because he will, you will, if you hang around long enough on earth and in your, in your walk with God, you will be tested over whether or not you will choose the approval of your mentors over the approval of God. Promise you, take it to the bank, take it to the bank. And it's going to be harder than you know, because that loss is going to be titanic it's going to be Titanic, but you will not miss it. But what—that was such a beautiful thing for me because what the mentality I've had to go with is just keep doing what you're called to do, and God's going to worry about who you serve it to. So because you talk about in one fell sweep just wiping out a whole demographic of a, a whole demographic of people—that's exactly what I did. I'm talking when I say the ministry changed dramatically and nearly overnight. I'm not even kidding. But I'm also going to tell you, I I said this to someone earlier, I I say to the Lord over and over, if I survive this, I'm going to tell you that this was a very good idea on your part. (laughs) Because what he did for me, I've told him over and over again, I surrendered because you were everything to me. You were everything I wanted in life. Everything. I was a Jesus freak. And that's how I want to go out. And so, Lord, whatever you have to do to protect it where the word is still alive, I, where, it's still, where I'm still so desperate for it that it still means a lot to me. And, I, and so what I will say to you is in all of it, in the pre-Lifeway years, in the Lifeway years, just the boom years. And did I know even at the time of the boom, did I know in arenas of 25,000 people that it was dangerous? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I could think I would stand backstage before I go on I think I, I could throw up. I could throw up. And so it was like, to me, that's not a place where anyone thrives. That's what you try to survive. If God puts you in that kind of spotlight, the whole idea is just trying to survive it. I just don't think people thrive with being that much of the center of attention. It's just too dangerous. And then there's this side of it. But what I'll say is he's been so faithful because he has kept me in a place of need and desperation. And so for that reason... There, there is so much that I have lost, but he is only the dearer to me. I'm telling you the truth. And the, the gospel has never had more power to me. Never. I've never been more convinced of just the pure gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah.
0: So uh, COVID uh, threw uh, a wrench in everyone's machinery. Right. So here we are in COVID and you have now said, okay, I'm going to go a different direction. Here comes COVID. Now coming out of COVID, um, what's the ministry looking like? What are you doing? Where are you speaking?
1: Well, it, it looks, at this point, it's looking more and more like it did, only it's just a lot fewer people, but <laughs> substantially fewer people. But the people are very enthusiastic, and I'm going to tell you something, and, and I really do mean it. I, I, the numbers thing, I, I am uh, I, by by gift. I'm a I'm a teacher. I'm a classroom teacher. So what I like is a small enough class where I could hear somebody groan, or I could see if you look confused about something that I just wrote on the board, or if you have tears in your eyes, I, I love that dynamic. I love it where we could stop and go, okay, okay, now what? what's going on right here? What do I see in your face? I love that. So I, it, it's more of my um, sweet spot, so to speak, to be in a room of people that I can actually see face to face. So uh, in a lot of ways, that that is what I have now. Uh, we still worship our hearts out, and um, we're just still... Do what God's called us to do. So at this point, it looks, it looks pretty similar uh, to what it did, only much, much smaller space. But we're just still studying the scriptures together and, and worshiping with all of our hearts and are just like, you know, kind of a lot more raw than we were. But the Lord is real on our midst. Some, I'm going to tell you something. I, I already knew this, but if there's anything that I learned from my study of the vine and the branches. It's that sometimes growing looks a whole lot like shrinking. And and you'll think, no, it's all over for me. For whatever reason, God just killed my ministry. I don't know why he did that. I mean, I was doing the best I could. God just killed my whole ministry. Um, And you have no idea that he cut it back because he saw fruit. It just doesn't make any sense to us. Why? So that we can bear more fruit. More fruit doesn't come in more people. it it comes in more glory to God Himself. So, yeah.
0: thank you for chasing vines, uh, Beth. It meant much to many. I'm so glad. And uh, here we have Beth Moore, all my knotted up life, yes. a memoir. Yes. What, whatever caused you to write a memoir?
1: What I've done all the way along. I have some friends, I always find this to be so fascinating, that will put out on social media, writers, what should I write on next? And I find that to be the most confusing question because I'm going to tell you something about writing a book. This could even be true of writing an article, but it is definitely true about writing a book. You better feel passionately about it because you're going to lose steam for it about three chapters in, and you're going to want to start something else. And so... I have I've had to do only what I felt really, really compelled to do because it takes that for me to see the whole thing through. So a couple of years ago, I kind of thought, for one thing, it's the age, That I am, there's a very natural inclination at 65, you know that most of your life, your work life, most of your ministry life, if you're in vocational ministry like I am, most of it's behind you, and you're looking back over your shoulder and thinking it through and thinking what you really want for the remaining years, and I think what prompted me most was that I was so sure at 20 that at 40, oh yeah, I'd be doing good, because I was a mess at 20. I then was a mess at 40. I couldn't even believe it. And then I get to 60. I mean, I was positive. By the time I got to 60, I would know. No, I was a mess at 60. It was like, does this not fix? And that's why it's called Knotted Up. It's like, I never did fix it. It never fixed. And I I thought, I, I, I wanted to write a memoir to say, for everyone who got there to that age or that time or to that milestone and never knew less of who you were that's what this memoir is for it's to say at the end of the day I got one thing for you and that is Jesus and he has carried me through that has been the one thing my one true thing has been him and he's gotten me through so it was it was uh, I'll say this this very positive thing about it because I tell substantially more um, about my childhood and about my home life than I have ever done before. Because I just sat down with my husband and went, what do, you know, what have we got to lose? Why would, we, why would we not try to minister to people through this at this point? What, I mean, we're, not, we're heading toward our 70s. Why, why, why would we care? And he was like, we don't care. Let's do it. <laughs> He's a very, very brave man. Very brave man. But what it did do for me is that I look back over my shoulder and all of it just kind of looks like a big explosion, like like a train that hit something hard and then all these cars of the train went all over. That's not true. What I can look back at is see thematically that God was always at work. He was. He was. He knew what he was doing, and he's right. And um, I will forever be glad I got the chance to write it.
0: So, Beth, without uh, spoiling uh, it for folks who are going to buy it and read it, um, take us on a tour. Take us on a tour of the book. What are we going to find between the covers? How does it unfurl?
1: You're going to find that it begins with a very, very broken family that looks extremely together. I told you already in my my message uh, where I was raised and the uh, racial climate I was raised in. But what you would also need to know is that, thank God, those were the days that we went to church, First Baptist Church of Arkadelphia, Arkansas. We went every time the doors opened. And what may be very different about my life from some of yours is that my church was my safe place and my home was not safe. And I, I think that my journey to some extent has been a good bit about learning whether or not I could trust my own gut. As I look back and I think over and over again You knew something was up there but in the name of submission you understand what I'm saying in the name of being under authority even though I would think to myself over and over again I'd be in a situation I would think well the reason why I'm uncomfortable with this is because I've been so sinful and it was my gut going "Uh uh-uh something's up here so you'll go with me there you'll go with me there and Try to figure out how does this look at the end of the day when some of the things that you most trusted just burn to the ground and uh, the faithfulness of God to rebuild out of those ashes.
0: So Beth, you've shared that as you reflect upon your writing, you've seen uh, God at work and God is faithful. Are some... Other things bubbling up now as you're beginning to think about, uh, I'm gonna get to talk about this book a good bit. Uh, you're about to be in, interviewed on your way to New mm-hmm. York, mm-hmm. on your way from place to place to talk about your memoir. What, what are some of these themes, these threads?
1: Um, one of the things that I'll be talking about is my very close experience with family members with mental illness. And I am—I was most anxious to be able to tell that part of my life because I do believe that many people feel trapped like other people don't have any clue what they're dealing with. I've had times in my life where I've been sitting in a pew, just like you are now, but I've been in church, and I've looked around me and thought to myself, no one in this room has any idea what I'm going through. Where you feel trapped in something and like you can't tell it because you don't want any shame upon that person. You don't want any shame upon yourself. You don't want to tell anybody of the, some of the madness that you have lived with. And I just, I think it's so important. There's been so much stigma there to come back around and say, listen, listen, all of our minds, are one huge crisis from breaking I mean it's just like let's all have some humility we might get through it and it doesn't happen but I'm just going to tell you if you're the one that doesn't believe that there is that mental illness is anything more than a demonic stronghold God bless you and I pray that you get somehow through this without getting a very personal tour of that kind of challenge because it's very, very real. And there should be very, very much compassion. So I'm anxious to have those conversations. I'm also, and I won't say anymore, I'm I'm reluctant to say this to you guys because this very thing is going to cause some people not to want to read it. And I want you to know that I don't go into graphics with it, but I do, do in this book, tell who my abuser was. And I have not done that in all of these years. And, you know, it was inside my home. And so I've been all of these years I've said, and I've gotten closer and closer to it, someone close. But I want to be able to speak to others whose perpetrators were supposed to be their protectors because it is a monster to deal with. And just to say how much shame can come with that and, and to be reminded that the cross has taken our shame from us and to walk with our chins up and our faces in the light. So those are conversations I'm, I'm, I'm very anxious to have.
0: Beth, your vulnerability is a gift. Uh, your uh, insight is a grace. Um, Earlier in the conversation uh, with Esau, uh, Esau was asked the question as the conversation came to a conclusion. And I think I've asked you about all the questions I can imagine. There are those out there who are thinking, oh, I wish I had a chance. I would have asked this and this and this. And perhaps uh, I should have. But, um, so these are these are friends who have made their way here. These are friends that are joining us online. These are friends that are uh, watching at a time that we can't imagine in places we can't imagine. Uh, given our topic, uh, Racism in the church. Uh, What is it that you would say to us? How might we uh, get up and go, get up and live at this point?
1: Well, I think where we have our biggest hope is that with conviction is always, always the opportunity to go at it new. And so I love, I love that the opportunity, the fact that. I can feel conviction that the Lord would be so kind to let some of the fog dispel and let me see some of what I've helped perpetuate. I mean, what what does it hurt us? We think it's gonna hurt us so much to go, I really helped with this. I really helped and I'm really sorry. I'm gonna tell you something, it's a relief repentance is a relief we don't want anybody to take that right from us and so anytime we repent there's about to be newness and a freshness of life that's Acts chapter 3 that uh, that a season of a new season of uh, a fresh season is coming upon us with a fresh repentance and so know that with that comes a new learning comes a new way a new walking and we're very very alive when we're learning that's what I would say and one reason I brought up this book, I wanted to tell you something. Reading While Black is, if I had a top 10 of my whole adult life books, it would be one of them. It's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. Jamar's books are tremendous. These are books that you need to have in your library, and they're fabulous. And the reason why I mentioned that, and I'm going to mention here again, Christina Edmondson and Chad Brennan, faithful, anti- uh, racism is because they will go through the steps, like in a day, we're not likely to learn A through Z, how we're going to be different and how change is going to come. But they are going to walk us through step by step. And one of the things that I love that Christina does and and Chad does, uh, Dean Still, is that they take us through the book of Acts. And one of the things that they really, really emphasize is the importance of prayer. That for us, to not just like here and there, but that we would begin praying with all of our hearts, Lord, and see, we lack faith because we don't really believe it would happen in our lifetime that there really would be a change that we really would that there would be something that would be i mean like it like data could actually show it that it would because we think it's been lord this has been going on so long i, I mean like how in the world are we ever going to see anything different? But what if we were a people of great faith that prayed for God to do such, a, that she emphasizes over and over it's going to happen through prayer, It's going to happen through action that comes from prayer, but do not leave the Holy Spirit out of it. I think that's what I'd say.:
0: Would you all please join me in thanking our friend uh, Beth Moore? Thank you so much.